Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 24. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read books, you know, and I have to read a lot of books to get ready for these interviews, and I'm having trouble, I'm finding out, to, to fit it all in. Well, Audible.com has helped out tremendously. When I'm driving to work or exercising or doing what I need to do, I can pop in Audible.com on my MP3 player on my iPhone or my iPad, and I can get caught up in all my reading. I got a special offer just for Dose of Leadership podcast listeners. You can go to my website and go to doseofleadership.com slash audible and you can sign up for a free trial. You can download a free ebook. In fact, you can download the ebook of our guest today, Robert D. Smith, on his great book, 20,000 Days and Counting. You can go there, you can download the free ebook, you can check out their website for 30 days at no risk to you. So go to, again, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible and sign up for your free 30-day trial. Anyway, enjoy the interview. Uh, it's a great one with Robert D. Smith. He's really energetic and a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show today Robert D. Smith. Now, for more than three decades, he spent his entire career in the place that he loved the most, behind the scenes and away from the spotlight. He has overseen the career of Andy Andrews, a New York Times bestselling author and in-demand speaker from the beginning. He served as a private consultant to numerous best-selling authors, speakers, entertainers, and organizations, educating them on the methods he has employed to sustain massive success across multiple industries for the past 30 years. I came across and I asked Robert to come on the show because I got his book a couple weeks ago called 20,000 Days and Counting. It's a great book, a rare book that you can read cover to cover in a couple hours, but when you read it, I guarantee it's going to charge you up and literally change your life. It's a book that asks, you know, what if you could discover the purpose of your life, that if you could live each day with maximum intensity, if you could conquer all your limiting fears, if you could learn how to accomplish more in one day that most people do in a year, it's a great book. Robert, how are you on today? Thanks for coming on the show. Richard, I am honored to be here, and congratulations on uh, this leadership podcast and all you're doing to encourage people to step out. Well, I appreciate that. It's been fun. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people I never thought I would talk to, and it's it's so fun to... I'm reading more than I ever have, and I'm talking to people that I never thought to, and it's all about learning and becoming better leaders. Absolutely. So I just want to tell you my number, 16,125. I looked it up this morning. That's how many days I've been on this on this planet. And it's Awesome, a- awesome. And you found that by going to therobertd.com, and there's a little calculator there, I think. That's right. So Good. Why the number 20,000? Why is that a magic number? Tell us a little bit about how you came up with that number and what kind of inspired you to write the book. Richard, that was quite by accident. When all these smartphones came out, and there's so many apps, some of the guys, the young guys on my team were sharing with me these different apps you could get, because you know that was a new thing to us, to this generation. And so one of them that they downloaded on my phone was called a countdown calendar, which simply, when you uh, downloaded it, it would tell you how many days till Christmas or New Year's, or you could put in your next birthday, and it would tell how many days till that date. I wondered 
does it work backwards? Can I simply put in my birth date of 5555? And it came up like 19,930-some-odd days. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'd never seen my life in days before because we're so trained to think in years or decades. And so at that moment, I decided when that next big number comes up, the 20,000, that I was going to go do something. I had no plans, didn't know where to go or what to do. But that morning, which happened to be a Friday, I woke up thinking, oh my gosh, today's the day, and I simply packed my bags and did something I've never done before, left the house with no goal in mind. Nowhere did, I did not know where I was going to end up. I ended up in one of the main brands of the leading hotels of the world, and uh, went in for two days, or two nights and three days, and simply sat down and felt enormous gratitude for having lived that long and being aware of it. So that's where it all began. You know, it is it is kind of sobering, and, and when you look at the number of days you've been alive, and what I also found interesting at the beginning of each chapter, you, you put a quote by someone famous or some kind of inspirational quote, and then you put the number of days that they were on this planet. And it's sobering, I guess, in the fact because it can be depressing, but it can be uplifting too because you can say, wow, I've – this is how many days I've been alive, and you start to take account for what have you accomplished. And I yes. guess my biggest challenge, and I've always and I've always been guilty of this, is, is kind of living in regret and thinking about what should have been. But at the same time, in the beginning of your book, you talk about when you're in high school and you're playing basketball at, at was it re, at gym class and yes, in my ninth grade. Yeah, and I mean here here you are, you know, in junior high school. And you just go to school like any other day. And one of my best friends that I've been friends with since second grade, Paul Kartlick, was simply playing basketball on a cement court outside, went to chase the ball that was going out of bounds, simply tripped and fell and hit his head so hard that he died instantly. Wow. So I never had one of my friends die. Never had I been so close to somebody passing away. And it literally shook me. Even though I had been raised in the church, a believer, felt I knew where I was going when I died, it suddenly hit me. I am literally one step away from dying. And it kind of changed my thought process of living every day as if potentially it was my last. Yeah, you know, we hear that in theory a lot. You know, we've, and I, I just went to a funeral last, um, Wednesday. And there's a guy that, uh, well, my wife worked with, uh, this woman right before we got married, you know, 20 plus years ago. And a couple of years ago, we remodeled a couple of things in our house, our kitchen, and added a bedroom in the basement. And she called, um, her old friend that you work with and her husband, and the nicest guy. And this guy just like lived life. And he's one of those guys that got up at you know five thirty in the morning and went to bed at, at midnight and was always working, always helping, always active in church, always doing things with his kids, always doing something for somebody else. One of the good guys, right? Yes. And, and um, a week ago last Sunday, well, we were at lunch, me and my wife last Wednesday, and we got a, a call and we found out that um, he was went to his wife went to bed Sunday night. He went to go work. He was always tinkering on his cars, his passion, his hobby. Anyway, the, in the middle of the night. Or while his wife was asleep, the car fell on him, you know, and she found him in the morning. You know, he's 48 years old. 
and it's oh, those, and it's those moments like that like you talk about your friend and and hearing that and you look at that and you're like it it can just be taken away in an instant you know and we never yes, think it yes. never, we never think it can happen ourselves and i know it's so cliche we all have those experiences in those moments but it really is part in your book like you talk about we have to be conscious about living every day like it can be snuffed away because it literally can at a moment's notice and Richard, that's not a negative thought. It, yeah, Some right. people think, oh, I don't want to deal with death. And uh, apparently about 65% of Americans that do die do so without a will. So apparently they weren't planning on dying, never did want to think about that. But that's critical to add to your list of to-dos. Yeah. So how do we maximize our time and take advantage of every passing minute? What are some of the things, you know, share with us some of the things you wrote in the book. You know, I, first of all, I wanted I, I, uh, some some of my friends think this is not uh, practical or realistic, and I think it's just the opposite. I think it's more energizing, more empowering, more inspiring to be able to live as if this is my last chance. Because the, every encounter I have with people is more uh, vivacious, more vibrant. It's more intense. I'm not going to get angry because I want to simply share that I love them. Right. And by the way, I want to encourage everybody to love. Uh, only those people that matter, but know that everybody matters. So whether it be your spouse, your kids, your mom and dad, uh, to say that I love you and mean it, and you don't even have to say the words, but with a smile, your actions and attitude, you can convey all those things. Um, then, if, whether it be if you're at work, you want to maximize everything that's going on today. And one of the rules or ideas that I've played with Richard is that, let's say that I invited you to go with me in 48 hours. As a matter of fact, what is today? It's, uh, well, whatever day it is, let's say in 48 hours, you and I are going to take a trip around the world, all expenses paid. Now, most likely, some people would automatically think, oh, I can't do that. I've got so much to do. I've got to do, and then they start listing all these things and the reasons why they cannot. But what if they said yes instead of no? Suddenly, they would go into a higher mode of accomplishment. They would be thinking in lists and start marking off all the things that they needed to do. And in 48 hours, they would have accomplished more than most likely they would have accomplished all week and possibly all month. Why don't we live that way as if we're going around the world every 48 hours of our life? In 48 hours, we would be leaving. So today, Get ready, start packing, get your to-do list done, and think in chunks of 15 minutes. Because I can't really comprehend the whole day. I don't know anybody that can. Yeah. And in high school, I started living one-third of a day at a time. Meaning when I got up, I could think from breakfast to lunch, I could comprehend those few hours. I knew what classes I had to go to. I understood what had to be done. At lunchtime, I kind of reset the day. And I thought, I'm now going to concentrate on living between lunch and dinner. Again, another three to five hours. And I can comprehend what had to be done. When I got home, had dinner, I had another reset and simply lived from dinner to the time I went to bed. By breaking it down into smaller chunks, I could comprehend and accomplish everything that I was supposed to be doing and not waiting to be inspired motivated yeah it's interesting that it's a great point that you bring up i think when you when you look at it that way you begin to understand that there is tremendous power in 
a single day in a, in a three-hour block. There's tremendous power. And I think if you, yes. can, if you learn how to harness that, um, you're right. That's when you start to see the, the beauty of life, the beauty of every moment that you have in front of you. Because Richard, right now, a lot of people have major projects that they're stuck on. I'm shocked at the number of people that literally want to write a book. They feel they've got a book in them. I, if you asked uh, uh, ten of your friends, I'm going to say eight of them would say, yes, I'm thinking about a book, yeah. or I've got a book idea. And, and yet so few people ever get that accomplished. But in the next 15 minutes, even while people are listening to us now, or assuming, or, or right at the very end, take that next 15 minutes and simply do something towards that big project. In this case, we'll think of a book. And in that 15 minutes, you can come up with a synopsis for your book. Just maybe 250 words, a one-page review. You can come up with 10 possible titles. You can come up with the title names of 10 chapters, all within 15 minutes. And when you do that, just that little chunk of time, celebrate at the end of that time for having moved forward on that. And I mean stand up. I mean uh, jump up and down like a little kid with excitement. Play your favorite music. Have a cupcake or a candy bar. <laughs> Celebrate in some way that's fun, and then it's easier and more exciting to do the next 15 minutes. So if you literally do your day all day in 15-minute intervals, you'll be shocked at what gets done. Yeah, I think sometimes we look, we, we get overwhelmed with where we have to go. You know, you're already thinking about and planning about you know, your retirement, it's 20 years away, 15 years away. You got to live in the moment. You know, the devil's advocates are going to tell you those like, well, if you're just living in the moment, you're not planning for the future. But the way I look at planning is a little bit different than most. And I, you know, coming from the Marine Corps and, and being in business and everything else, everybody's all about the planning. But I always say, and I, and I'm paraphrasing what Eisenhower said here, but you know, he, you could almost say he's the consummate planner, right? He, he's, planned the D-Day invasion. And there's a famous story about when he finally put it into motion, he crumpled up the plan and once he said once he, you know, gave the green light, he crumpled up the plan and threw it in a trash can. Because all that planning was so such a pain and so necessary, but at the same time it was worthless as he put it. Because once you put it into motion, you have to adjust, you know, it it goes in, in into motion, you have to adjust on the fly. And that's kind of what, like what you're talking about in, in your moment. You're not telling everybody to, to not look past the next three hours, but you're, what you're trying to get people to do is experience the three hours, right? Am I saying that right? Ah, uh, that's beautiful. That's a great way to say that. Yeah, and, and, and even sometimes, I mean, you know, we can't even comprehend the three hours. Right. So what I can't comprehend, you can comprehend the next 15 minutes. And you, you have got a great example with your life, Richard, because of being a pilot, with some fast jets, and having accumulated, oh, I think, over 3,000 hours of this, you always had a flight plan every time you sat in the cockpit. But your brilliance, and any pilot's brilliance, and the necessariness of that brilliance is that they are constantly making adjustments. Yeah, that's great. Every minute of that flight, is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And one of the things that we, you know, we never have a perfect flight. The flight plan is there because you have to have some plan. But every yes. day, and you know, in the, the 3,500 hours that I've accumulated and I fly, nothing ever goes according to plan, ever. 
every flight. Don't and er- tell your passengers that. Next that's time. right. And, and, and think about this every time you go. Like, every flight, I don't care what pilot, what airline, what type of professional. Every flight, someone is off altitude. Someone's off airspeed. Somebody misses a radio call. There's always some sort of warning light. There's always something that gets in the way. Yes. But that's but that's normal. But that's life. And I think that's what's important to to understand about that. Sometimes we get wrapped around the axle thinking we need to have the the, the perfect plan i.e. the perfect life, well, it doesn't exist, period. Right, right. And, and the key is how do you learn how to be flexible and, and adjust to the obstacles that are inevitably going to come, in, come your way? And Richard, I think a lot of people uh, think that those adjustments and those corrections that are needed on a daily basis or hourly uh, are problems that they are the only ones experiencing their problems and are asking, <laughs> why me? What am I doing wrong? There's nothing wrong. No. As a matter of fact, you're blessed because you have problems. The only people I know for sure that have no problems are located in the cemetery. That's the alternative. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, what's been fun about this podcast and talking to some of these people like yourself and and, and entrepreneurs and self-made millionaires and everything else, that they're no different than, than – they're just like everybody else. The only difference that kind of separates maybe the what people would consider the stereotypical self-made person, and it's going back to what you said. They just started doing something, and even though they didn't – and almost all of them invariably didn't have a perfect plan, they just said, well – Everybody thinks they need to create something great. Yeah. But really what they do is they, I just got, I'm going to create something good and just put it out there and be willing to have the courage and be vulnerable to put it out there. I think that's the key. And that's what your book really gets to is like you got to accept and be vulnerable and just put it out there. Right? Absolutely, Richard. I also want to explain something that seems to be very overwhelming. And we'll use this one idea about a major project in your life, which everybody has, uh, something that they want to accomplish, which was a book. For me, I never wanted to write a book. It was not on my list to do. What on my bucket list? What on even the back of a list to do? But I simply, and I don't have, you mentioned at the beginning that I've worked with Andy Andrews, beyond a brilliant writer, has gotten uh, three books, hit the New York Times, has authored over 23 books There's in 25 different languages. As a matter of fact, our CPA says about every 23 seconds, 24-7, another book is sold by Andy Andrews. Mm-hmm. Well, so I had no desire to do that. I'm thinking I can't compete against that. So I simply majored in writing a simple email. I tried to be good at punctuation, sentence structure, and conciseness in sending out up to 100 emails a day business-wise and conducting our business. Who knew that back a couple years ago when I was in that hotel room and I felt that gratitude and I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I simply wrote an email to Andy and Polly Andrews expressing gratitude to them for allowing me to do what I do for them. And being uh, Andy's manager, I acknowledge that this was my 20,000th day. I also analyzed a little bit of what Scripture says about uh, time, how it's uh, like a vapor, like it's passing. No man knows, it says, the time or date of their death. And I, all these things started whirling in my brain, and I just was amazed at, that I got to live this long. Well, when I did that and sent that email, I sat there and thought, what, what else? And I thought of somebody else that I wanted to send it to. And I rewrote the email. 
conveying the major five points that I had listed in that one to Andy, but personalized it to the next person. Do you know, Richard, over the next 18 hours, I sat there one at a time and just sent that email to 48 of my close friends. They all responded. They were overwhelmed. They were moved by the concepts in that email. It's that email that you read in the second chapter, yeah. word for word of what was sent, and that's how this book came about. No, that's awesome, and I think it goes to the heart of what I've always talked about is essential to leadership. It's an affair of the heart, and I think sometimes we try to think it's about being this charismatic, you know, larger-than-life figure, but it really is about being a human being and getting in touch with your heart. My favorite part of the book, actually, is, is and if we can jump ahead of that, is, is the seven questions to seize the essence of today, and that's that's the part that really struck with me, and I think it's it's practical advice that someone can can do right now, and it can change. And can I go over some of these questions? Let me please, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I lo- you put seven questions here, and the first one is: Ask yourself as you're getting up at it, at it every day, whose life am I going to brighten today? What three things am I most grateful for today? What memories am I going to create today? What challenge am I going to overcome today? What value am I going to create today? How much joy can I create for others and myself today? And what life-changing decisions am I going to make today? And then in your bonus question, what question am I not asking yet today? Those seven simple questions, eight if you include the bonus, I don't think I've ever really looked at, you know, got woke up and asked myself those questions. But if you ask those questions, how much value you can or how much change you can affect in your own life and and everybody else's life, I think it's just brilliant. Well. You know, you know what? We ask, even as little kids, you watch a kid on Christmas Day, and you've got four beautiful daughters, and you see them on Christmas Day, the excitement the night before, building up to it, and that, that excitement that you experience on Christmas morning of coming out with anticipation, not only of what you're getting or receiving, but what you're giving and sharing the experience with family. Why can't we make every day that big of a gift to ourselves and others? Well, I think, you know, we get caught up in, everybody says the cliches, we get caught up in life, right? But what? But those seven questions really is what life's about. That's right. That's right. That is life. That is life. And I don't know if it's, I don't know, I mean... Is it selfishness or worry or oh, – I guess it's the overwhelm. I think we all feel overwhelmed. I know I do. And, and we get overwhelmed on like what to do next. And yeah. you kind of hit on it earlier that you just do something. It's overwhelming to think, well, I could never write a book. Well, yeah, you can, but how do you start? Well, you start by writing an email like you said. Or, yes. Now, you know what? You said you feel overwhelmed by what's next. To me, Richard, there's only two questions I've asked for over three decades. Two questions every hour, every single day, has motivated me, kept me in line, focused, kept me on target, and the the two questions are simply this, what's important now, and what's next? Yeah. So by asking, now sometimes you as a dad, what's important now is sitting and listening to your daughter. It might be in the kitchen helping prepare a meal. It might be taking your wife out on a great date. But then again, it might be getting in the cockpit and chest testing a new plane. Or it might be greeting uh, an associate and solving a business problem. Those are what's important now. And afterwards, what's next will keep you going, literally, forever. 
That's so true. You know, I think one part that I know I've dealt with all my life, and I think in all of us as human beings, one of the limiting beliefs we have is the, is the concept of, of rejection. I think that's what you know drives people towards stagnation a lot is that they don't want to fail. They don't want to have the door slammed in their face. They don't want to be told no. Talk to me about your concept of rejection. I love what you wrote in the book, but t- tell me how you view rejection and why it's so critical to, to, uh, to be successful. Absolutely. Rejection and uh, the fear of being told no and that awful feeling that we get. I overcame in 1975 when I was selling books literally door to door with the Southwestern Publishing Company. And that's a company that's been around for, I know, over 100 years, maybe up to 150 years. They've been around and hiring college kids every summer to simply spread out literally around the world now and uh, sell books, usually educational, religious, home uh, improvement type of books, and simply doing their store-to-door. Our mission was to simply share our books with 30 families a day. So is what I did, it was simply look for 30 people a day that did not want to buy these books. And in the process, do you know, Richard, I never once succeeded in finding 30 people in a row that did not want the books? There was always some knucklehead that said, yes, I would like to buy these. And I did that all summer long for 90 long days, and they tell me that I was in like the top 10% of the entire company, even as a first-year salesman. I then, when I started working with Andy Andrews, and him as a comedian 33 years ago, I simply looked for 30 colleges and universities a day that did not want to buy a comedian, did not want to hire one. And I would literally call and talk to the director of student activities and say, John, you're not interested in booking a comedian, are you? They'd say, we are not. I'd say, thank you very much. I literally had a legal pad numbered 1 through 30 on my desk. I'd write down that name in that school and with a little happy face because I found one that did not want. I literally called the next school. Same question. Sally, you're not interested in booking a comedian, are you? Now, at some point, somebody said, you know, we just had a meeting last week and we are interested in booking a comedian. Now, I'd say, are you sure? Well, you wouldn't want Andy Andrews, would you? That sounds kind of negative or like reverse psychology. But do you know the same thing happened, Richard, in that I never once in one day of doing this succeeded in finding 30 in a row that did not want a comedian. Andy then, after two years, was the most booked comedian in the nation. Over 1,200 colleges and universities voted in Comedian of the Year two years in a row. Is that not amazing? Yeah, that is amazing. So the idea... And you know what? Anything you're doing, especially if you're in sales of any kind, you want to find. If you find 30 people that don't want your products, you could get rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love how you put in the book that the more no's you get, the closer you are to yes. And I think that's it's a simple mind shift is all it is. That's it. I say there that I eat no's for breakfast. I get more (laughs) excited when people tell me no. Now, let me tell you, one time this almost backfired on me. This is a great story. When over, uh, as a matter of fact, it was 10 years ago uh, that this book was published, The uh, Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews, and I, once he had written it, 
it was my job to get it published. And I thought, well, you just pitched this, because we'd already successfully published, uh, self-published uh, four books that sold like 600,000 copies. So I thought anybody would want Andy's next book. And in the process, I found publisher after publisher after publisher did not want it. Now, I don't mean just three. And then after I received a bunch of no's, I hired a literary agent. For 12 months, they pitched it, got more no's. I end up hiring three different literary agents. Over three and a half years, we accumulated 51 publishers that did not want this book. <laughs> but we didn't. At that time, then, Thomas Nelson, who had turned it down twice, said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to publish this book. And, Richard, within six months, it became a New York Times bestseller. It was on Good Morning America, Robin Roberts, Diane Sawyer, Charlie Gibson, all pitching the book for four minutes of live TV. And at that moment, that afternoon, 40,000 books were sucked out of the bookstores, and they started printing 20,000 a week, and it stayed on New York Times for 17 weeks. Wow. No, yeah, that's why you got to eat nose for breakfast. you got to keep going if you've got an idea. Uh... Something that you feel led to be doing, you've got to push forward. You know, every, there's so many stories. You look at stories of success, they think it's, um, and I know it's, maybe it gets cliche, we've heard this so many times, but it's, there's so much truth in it. Every successful story or even that, that's out there, you look at the at behind the scenes of it, they were just inundated with no's and rejection. So many. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you just got to get that. That's okay to experience that. That's a good thing to experience that. If everybody was doing what you're doing, then it wouldn't be so great. And you wouldn't get paid so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love how you said the, in the, the last chapter or near the end, the 10 things you can do now. And um, I love the opening line there where it says, we have an amazing ability to overestimate what we can do in the next five years and totally underestimate what we can do in the next 15 minutes. Yes. Can you expand, yes. on, expand on that? Yeah. The idea, uh, how many times do I hear people say, you know, next year I'm going to be doing this, or by the time I graduate from college, I will be making this much money. But they, they whatever it is, they totally underestimate, and we went over this, of what you can do and accomplish in the next 15 minutes. Then if you can't master the next 15 minutes, you're not going to be able to reach that goal in five years. Because that goal is made up of tons of chunks of 15-minute segments of your life. Yeah, it's, it's it's all the small little steps that add up and eventually get you to to that goal. I think I know I've those, been. Go ahead. No, I was going to say those ten things that are listed in the book. They're all simple. Oh yeah. Even your eight year old daughter could do one of these things. Yeah, there. You know, oh, call a yeah, call a family member and tell them you love them. You know, make a list of top priorities, act on them in order, invite a close friend to dinner. All those simple life lessons that that we ignore because we're focusing again on the larger than life goal yeah you know even in the i think number uh one, one of them is uh uh exercise yeah. and that's the thing that everybody agrees i mean i can't find anybody that says no i don't believe in exercise now they may not do exercise but everybody knows the value of exercise but we do all the drama of joining a gym of going to that location and then uh, working out. Now we say we don't have an hour. We don't have two hours. We don't have whatever. But whatever happened to the four-minute mile? 
What can you do in the next four minutes to break a sweat, to sprint to the next goal in your life? A lot of stuff can be done in four minutes without making it so hard, so much drama, so many moving parts. Break it down. You know, we were talking about in the in the pre-interview, I said, you know, when I read this book and I and I put it down, I finished it literally in a couple hours and I said, well, duh. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. That's those are the the beautiful things. It's it's hard to do things. Well, is it right to say it's hard to do things simple? Simple is it doesn't mean it's necessarily easy, right? Correct. And yeah, it doesn't mean sim- simple. Sometimes is really underrated because you're thinking, well, it can't be that simple. You look at somebody that got rich or uh, living in a big house or driving in that nice car. Yeah, usually they they master doing something simple over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, there there is simplicity to sit there and say, live every day as if it's your last. It's simple to say that. But to be intentional and be 100% present and be involved in everything that we do takes deliberate effort. Yes, yes. You know what, that's where you start writing. I think in here, uh, in a chapter, there's writing a life purpose. I'm shocked at how many people don't know why they're here or what they're supposed to be doing. But that, again, can be... uh, figured out in the next 15 minutes and by writing and answering some simple questions. And when you know, because there's one thing you're doing or that you want to do that's very exciting to you, that's most likely uh, has something to do with your purpose intensely. And once you figure that out, all these other little things start falling into place. What do you mean when motivation is a myth? Talk to the folks about what you say motivation is a myth. Yes. As a matter of fact, most people are waiting to be motivated to accomplish something, whether it be that exercise or writing that book or making lots of money or having a successful marriage. You're putting it off and waiting for you to be inspired. But William James, the father of our modern-day psychology, said a great line that sums up so much. He simply said, we do not sing because we are happy. Yeah. We are happy because we Thing. Say that again, so, because I, I yeah, read, we, I read we, that when I was flying with a, a guy the other day, and I, I quoted that to him, and it's so true. Say it again. I want to get that point yeah. across. We do not sing because we're happy. We are happy because we sing. In other words, the activity, you do something, you sing, then you feel like singing some more. I mean, never once, Richard, have I ever, not ever, wanted to go exercise in my workout room. But 100% of the time, every time I did, I was glad I did. So I just simply go in there, not wanting or not waiting for motivation or inspiration. I simply go and I start working out. I'll put on some music. I act as if I want to be there. I start lifting or stretching or whatever, and then it starts taking place where I feel motivated to do more. As a matter of fact, then I have to watch the clock and make sure I don't stay in there too long. Right. <laughs> no, that's so true. That's so key. I mean, writing is painful. Exercising is painful. You know, being vulnerable to the ones that you love can be scary and painful. But when you choose to do it, when you have the courage and, and the tenacity to do the things that that are difficult to do, then then that's when the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment, and the quality of life starts to, to emerge. 
You're right. right. S- sitting there thinking like, well, I just I can't get motivated to myself. Well, look, you're never going to get you just you just got to go do it. You just even though it's painful and then you're right. Every time that you've exercised, every time that you've forced yourself to sit down and you actually wrote something, maybe it wasn't the best. Or you got something on paper. You feel good about yourself. Absolutely. I love that part. I love that. I just I remember um, the day after I read that I was flying with somebody, a guy I was flying with, and I told him about that concept. Like you don't. Um, you know, the whole singing part, you don't do it, uh, to become, um, say it again. I want to make sure I got it right. Yeah. Yeah. We do not sing because we are happy. Yeah. We are happy, happy because, because we, sing. we sing. I love that. And, and, and that applies to so many areas of your life. And the, the, one of the last things I would say, Richard, is simply that I have, uh, I'm very aware, uh, as a matter of fact, let's use an example of all four of your daughters. I bet you can remember where you were when each of them took their first step. Yep. Where it was, what you might have been present or not, but your wife called you to say you're not going to believe what just happened. Everybody celebrated. Now with our little smartphones, you can take videos, you can record stuff, and instantly send it out to share with others the happiness, and everybody celebrates. At, my question is, at what age... Did we as adults stop celebrating the baby steps that everybody I know needs to celebrate in that 15-minute segment what you've just done, what you've just accomplished, and the number one person you need to celebrate is yourself, that you need to pat yourself on the back, you need to look at yourself in the mirror and smile that you're doing as well as you're doing. I realized after uh, watching Andy, and I guess I've seen Andy Andrews more times on stage than any human on the planet, that almost every time he got a standing ovation. One day I simply asked him, how does that feel? He says, I don't even notice it. Uh, I guess it just happened so much that, uh, you know, I'm glad that people are responding to the message and that's what they're responding to. But I walked away thinking that most people, Richard, will never once in their life receive a standing ovation for anything they do. So I simply started giving those in my little circle, my associates, my team members, my family, literally and figuratively standing ovations for little things they were doing. I I even have created celebration parties, almost like a birthday party with balloons and streamers and congratulations uh, uh, things just for no occasion at all. It wasn't their birthday. I was just simply celebrating them as a friend and somebody being in my life and inviting my friends to celebrate that person too. Do that with somebody today. Smile and say, you are the best I know at doing this one thing. Or thank you for doing this. You have made a difference in my life. Those little things will inspire them to do more for others also. I love that. You know, the analogy of where you're talking about watching your child's first steps. And it isn't amazing, you know, what happens when that child or that baby takes those first couple steps they got that smile on the face they do one two and they fall down and we clap and we joy and we're so happy and you could look at it in a level and say well that's almost like a failure they didn't walk completely he took two steps and he fell and we were so yeah. happy at what point in our lives do we stop celebrating that you know at some point we we beat ourselves up because we only took two steps and we fell that's right that's it 
I love that. Robert, this is awesome. Where can they find you? Hey, I am available 24-7 at therobertd.com. There's even a free ebook on there called Battle-Tested Branding. It's simply a concise thought process of anybody that's wanting to build a brand, write a book, be an entertainer, a speaker, create a platform of any kind that it will give you the simple concepts you can do, and you can download that right now. Yeah, and it's great. I download it myself. It's a it's a great piece of work. I love it. Good, good, good. Great website, too. And also, too. the calculator's on there that anybody can go there and fill in your time or put in your birth date, and it will pop up immediately how many days you've been alive. And mine is, you told me yours at the beginning, today is my 21st. Are twenty one thousand one hundred and thirty days. Wow. Well, Robert, your enthusiasm, your energy is very infectious. It's been so much fun talking to you. I'll have to bring you back some uh, some other time too to continue this conversation. Again, Richard, thank you for having me. It's been a joy talking to you. Robert, have a good day. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.